This is Kwame. I'm coming to you with a very special edition of the African Studies Lecture Series. I am recording live from Accra, Ghana. I have been in Ghana for, I believe it's uh, 12 days now. Tomorrow will be my last day here. My flight leaves tomorrow night. And I wanted to take a time and record a pod while I was here and while I had some things fresh on my mind and um, and be able to talk freely a little bit about some of the experiences that I've had here so far. We're going to try to break this down into two parts. The first half will be about uh, preparations for coming here and then uh, I'll talk later on about in the second part about my experiences meeting the king and meeting going to some schools here in Ghana. But before I get into the meat of it, I wanted to introduce the audience to a couple of people that are actually here with me. I have uh, my friend Bright, and I call him my friend because I've known Bright for about a year now. Uh, we, he is my tour guide here in Ghana, but he helped prepare me for this trip, and he's been here uh, along the way the whole time. So he is in the room. And then a new friend that I have, his name is Saul. Saul is an expat. He is from, which means an expatriate. He is from the United States originally, but he has been living here in Accra for five years, I believe you said? One year. Oh, one year. One year. Okay. Six months. Okay. Okay. One year and six months he's been living here. I'm sorry. And um, he's originally from Oakland, California. And I just wanted to let the audience be aware that every once in a while I may ask them a question, you know, they can voice their opinions if they want to as well. So to start out with, if you want to come to Africa, you have to obviously have a passport, specifically Ghana. You have to have a passport. And you also have to have a visa. The visa requirement is not the same for every country, meaning not every country requires you to have a visa. But Ghana is one of the countries that does. And part of the reason why is they want to make sure that you go home after uh, you come and visit. The problem, though, with acquiring your visa for Ghana is there are only a few places where you can get your visa. If you go onto the website, uh, if you Google getting my visa for Ghana, it will lead you to the embassy, the embassy of Ghana in Washington, D.C., to their website. And on the website, there will be a series of tabs that you have to click, and you go through the process on there. But it's very difficult to navigate the website. The program that they are using is new, and the reason why it's set up the way it is is because historically people have not provided with the embassy with all the appropriate information and material that it's needed to approve your visa. So it was extremely difficult for me uh, to get the website to work and I consider myself fairly savvy when it comes to websites, but it was difficult for me to get to work. So I started calling the embassy 
and there was no response. I finally, uh, after a few days of calling, got a response from a gentleman at the embassy, and he gave me a confirmation number for me to use to check on my uh, visa status, but it was a wrong confirmation number. So when I went to call him back to let him know that I had the wrong confirmation number, no one answered the phone. And this went on for weeks. I actually called three days in a row, every half hour, all day, from the time they're open till they're closed, and no one answered the phone. So then I started sending emails, and sending tons of emails, and no one answered the phone, or no one responded to my emails. So the trip was coming up, and I was panicking, because obviously if you don't have your visa, you can't get in the country. And I'd already bought my plane ticket and I'd booked Airbnbs and I'd, you know, been lacing people's pockets already. And so I was like, uh-oh, something's got to give. So I, I just was on Facebook and there's a group on Facebook that is uh, for people that, you know, are moving to Ghana or wanting to move to Ghana and they have questions. So I went on this Facebook page and said, I'm having issues with my visa. No one's responding to my calls at the Ghanaian embassy in D.C. What should I do? And just so happened, one of the people that responded uh, knew someone that worked at the embassy personally. She had his personal cell phone number. So she contacted him for me and uh, come to find out that they had uh, all of my paperwork sitting there in an office. They just had lost my passport and paperwork, just misplaced it. Now, I don't know how this happens with only two people, because he told her there was only two people working at the embassy, so I have no idea how you misplace someone's passport and information. How many rooms are there? Or where are they storing things? I have no idea. Then I find out that they're not open all day. They take an hour for lunch break, and that is normally the time that mail is delivered there. So stuff is delivered there when there's nobody even there, and they don't have a drop box. So they don't have a designated area where mail is actually put. So who coolly knows where mail is? Somebody's probably got their passport lost there. It's been lost forever. So... Fortunately, this friend of mine uh, was able to help me out, and I was really appreciative of that. Mrs. All Smiles, thank you very much. And um, I got my visa the day before my plane was to leave. So it was, I mean, as last minute as possible, but it was literally the day before. So that's one thing that if you're considering coming to Ghana, which I... Highly recommend all people to visit at least once, especially people of African descent. You should visit at least once. That you give yourself plenty of time to get your passport and visa handled. I'm talking almost a year, I would say, just, just to make sure it gets done. Because I'm telling you, that's an abyss of an office. And it, you know, it's called an embassy. It should be called an abyss is what it should be called. But anyway. So um, my plane left uh, a week ago. It was like a Thursday is when my plane left. 
I left from Omaha, Nebraska, and I flew to uh, Chicago. And from Chicago, I flew to Belgium. And then from Belgium, I was supposed to come from Belgium straight to Accra. As I was getting off the plane that landed in Belgium, the people in Brussels at the airport said that my plane to Accra had been moved, delayed for 24 hours. So I was going to have to stay in Accra or in Brussels overnight. So it was kind of a surprise and it was definitely an inconvenience because I had meetings planned for the following week that I needed to prepare for, yada, this and that. But nevertheless, um, it was, in a sense, a good thing because I've never been to Europe and I had the opportunity to walk around Brussels for the day and there was a festival going on uh, that was only there for one time a year and it was it's catered towards kids but still there was a lot of activity going on in the city and so it was actually a good experience being able to uh, say I was in Europe and actually being in Europe and experiencing some of the local culture. And I met some pretty cool Africans while I was, you know, they, they also were trying to get to Africa and they got delayed. So I got to meet a couple pretty cool Africans and we got to hang out and, you know, they gave me some do's and don'ts and, and uh, we had some great conversations. So get back on the plane, finally land in Accra after about from Brussels to Accra, I think it was eight hours. So it's a pretty long flight. And um, we landed here, and as soon as I landed, it was interesting. I got off the plane, because you get off the plane, you go down, you walk on the tarmac, and then you have to walk up some stairs to get back to the check-in spots. I started sweating immediately. So you could just feel the humidity in the air, but I also felt a calmness as soon as the plane landed. I don't know if that was because I'd been on an airplane for eight hours and was tired, and was happy that I finally got here, or if it was because I was in Africa. I was in the motherland. I think it was a combination of both. And uh, I already had a prearranged... Oh, before I say about that. So I'm waiting at the, the luggage where you grab your luggage. And a woman walks up to me with a flyer. And she, cause she obviously could recognize that I was a foreigner. And she uh, said, if you're looking to buy land in Ghana, here's a brochure. And I sell it. So she was hustling. I appreciate that. She was on her hustle. But that was an interesting thought. I'll fast forward and talk about that later. So uh, my tour guide, Bright, friend Bright, his uncle, Paul, is who actually picked me up from the airport with the taxi driver. And we went from um, the airport to this place where I'm staying called the Eliz House, which is approximately 40 minutes from the airport. And it was interesting because when we got here, the taxi driver, the cab driver wanted to over, he wanted to overcharge me. And uh, Bright's uncle negotiated him down. And since he negotiated him to a fair price, 
I told the driver that I was going to, I'm paying the driver also now to take me back to the airport when it's time for me to leave. Now, Bright's Uncle Paul was an interesting character. He is an interesting man. He's very articulate. He's very clean cut. He uh, had a maroon caftan and matching pants on. And uh, he had an aura of responsibility about him, like he was in charge of some things. And he was very smart, but he had a warm smile and... Um, you know, they wouldn't let me carry my own bags and they just, you know, were very happy that I was here and it made me feel welcome. And we sat down when we came back to the hotel, we sat down and talked for a while. You know, he asked me what all I had going on and I explained some of the things I was going to be doing, the research I was doing and that I, uh, lecture on African history and teaching African Americans about their history. And that Bright was going to take me to go. We were going to a Hanta land and we we're going to see uh, a Tumufor Badubunso the 15th, who's a descendant of a great African king. And um, that uh, I was looking forward to seeing Paul again. The next day uh, started the journey to a separate area. Uh, of Ghana. So we had to go from Accra, which where I live. By the way, Accra is the biggest city in Ghana. It is also the capital of Ghana. Uh, has a couple million people that live here in Accra. And it is a very bustling metropolis. There are people everywhere. And um, they literally are all over the streets. You see people. It's very reminiscent of a big city in the United States like New York City or Chicago, where there's something always going on. And it was a modern city. Uh, they had sky, they have skyscrapers. Uh, they have all the amenities that they do in every other city. The main difference I saw from uh, cities in the United States was how people drove here. And they are a little bit chaotic the way they drive. So uh, Paul and I... Journey to Takradi, which is about five hours. And um, eventually, we met up with Bright in a town called Aguna. And they put me in an Airbnb in Aguna. Aguna is a, it's a much smaller area, but it is part of Ahanta land, okay? And once you get past a certain point, there's a river. Once you cross this bridge, you're in Ahanta land. And this is the land that the king, this is, you know, the man I'm going to go speak with. This is his kingdom. So um, the Airbnb that we stayed at, they called it the guest house. And it just happened to be also where soldiers from uh, Ghana were housing as well. So it's considered, it was considered one of the safer places to be because you're around all the soldiers. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. So uh, I was able to have Jolof Rice right away 
when I got there, which was something I was looking forward to because Ghanaian jollof rice is considered uh, the best in the world. And I was able to just settle down and relax for a day and rest uh, in preparation for what would be an adventurous next couple of days. So I just want to remind the audience that I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to driving. I don't let my wife drive when we're together. I'm always the one that's driving. So for me to get into a car with someone I don't know and let someone drive me around is really difficult for me. And then when the driver is like flying through traffic and I'm looking out the front window and I'm like, oh my Lord, what's going on? But that's something you get used to here. The, the taxi drivers are aggressive. They kind of make their own lanes at times. They, you know, there's like on one-way streets or like uh, on roads where there's just two-lane traffic, they will go around you. Um, they'll, and it looks like they're in oncoming traffic and then they'll weave back over in front of the car and it's like, oh, you got to get used to that, man. But that's transportation here. So for those of you that are visiting, that's just something I want you to keep in mind. When you get in taxis and trotros and kakas and buses or whatever form of transportation that you take, be prepared for a wild ride. Some people come and they actually rent a car and then they pay someone local to be their driver for their whole trip. And I think that if uh, I were to do this again, or when I do this again, that's probably what I will do because one of the things that you find out is that the taxi drivers are going to rip you off every chance they get. As soon as they know that they have a foreigner in the car, they're going to charge you almost double what they normally would charge. And it's only if you have someone that's local that's representing for you, that's negotiating with that driver, they're going to get the price down, get the price better. It still may not be what the locals would pay for the cab, but it'll be better than what the prices they initially hit you with. So uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, that's one of the things they may need to address here in the country. If they really want people to come and visit, they have to be more consistent as far as charging. You can also take an Uber. Now, uh, some people recommend the Uber as well because on the Uber, you know exactly the price that you're going to get because they have. you can tell them when the Uber driver comes to get you, at the desk, once you get to the destination, they should show you their phone and it shows you exactly how much you owe the driver. So sometimes an Uber might be even better to use. So um, it is an adventure when you're driving. We eventually, uh, after I was rested and was ready to, to go, uh, on the Monday, following Monday, we took, actually it was Tuesday, we went to a couple of different places. Um, the first place we went to was Baru Bansu High School. Uh, at the high school, I had an opportunity to interview two staff members and then two students. And I talked about the history of the school. We, you know, I interviewed them about that. Their experiences at the school, uh, how the school has changed. And then I was able to talk to a couple of the students at the school about their experiences. Uh, some kids live there full time. They're boarded at the school. Some kids have to walk home. Some kids walk three miles to get to school and three miles to get home. 
So it's a journey for many of them. And um, it was a humbling experience going to the school because they are learning a lot with very little. And what I mean by that is at this particular school, there were no windows. I didn't see any lights. Um, there was a dry erase board that was old and, and cracked and crumbly. Uh, there was no overhead projectors. There was no technology of any sort. The teachers in the front and the students are in their chairs. They had no books. Sometimes they shared books. But they were all participants. They all clapped in unison when they agreed with someone's answer. They all stood up when I walked in the room to show respect. And their focus, even though I was even in there and I could have easily been a distraction for them, they were still focused on getting their work done. And at the end of the class, the teacher asked me if I wanted to say anything to the class. And the one thing I did say to them was, I believe that you guys are better learners than students in the United States. In the United States, kids want to bring their cell phones to class. They want to wear their headphones. They want to talk back to teachers, be disrespectful. They want to fall asleep in class. They want to do everything but learn. But you kids here are doing everything you can to learn despite your disadvantages. And I gave them kudos for that. I gave them much props for that. So after that experience, we went to, um, to the palace. Now, that was a journey. The road leading to the palace was one of the roughest roads I've ever been on. And there was even a point where I didn't even think it was passable. I was surprised that the taxi was able to even get up the road. And I thought it was interesting because the road leading to the palace, you would think, would be a nice road. You know, it would be the best road, one of the best roads in the area. But it wasn't. And when I asked about it, it's because the government is who is supposed to be in charge of the roads. But they are neglecting their duties and they won't allow the chiefs to handle it. So there's some uh, political infighting going on there or some, I don't know what you want to call it. You know, who's, who's got the bigger dick kind of situation? I'm not sure, but... Uh, it did. It does make it seem interesting or wrong that the roads leading to the palace were not in better shape. Nevertheless, we get to the palace, and um, I get to sit in a room for the next almost hour and a half while we're waiting for uh, the chieftain meetings to get concluded. And while I was sitting in the room. I was able to sit with one of the elder chiefs. Bright, what was his name? Yes, um, Say that again. Nana yeah, Sankol. He was blind, but he was very, you know, aware. And I was able to ask him a few questions. And he was very upset with uh, the man who's supposed to be called, he's called the register. He's the one who's supposed to be, I think he's like the manager of the palace and in the, in the affairs of the chieftains. But he had not been doing his job very well because he couldn't find my paperwork that we had sent previously. Uh, and then he had the man sitting in this room for over two hours 
So the chief was upset about that as well. He felt like he was his time was wasted, and it was, you know, sitting there not doing anything for that long a time. He was wasting his time. Eventually, I was able to go and sit in on a chieftain meeting. It was a meeting, and it was concerning uh, a woman named Nana Araba. And she is a former American who lives in Ghana. I believe she is now a Ghanaian citizen. And um, she had been appointed directly by the king to be in charge of this department. And the other chieftains, the sub-chieftains, were upset that they were bypassed in this process. And in the end, I think what we concluded was they were more upset that they didn't get their pockets laced, you know what I mean, uh, prior to her being appointed to this position. But they spoke openly about her in the meeting, about her qualifications or lack of, and they were upset that she was wearing traditional African kente cloth, which is a royal, she had on, she had on royal attire. And they were upset about that, that they did not feel that she had earned that title yet, that she should not have been allowed to. Even though, like I said before, the king had appointed her and he even was the one who sent her to go get the attire. But anyway, so I got a chance to speak to the chieftains and thank them. And after the meeting with them, I went into a different room. It was like a living room that was in off to the side. And the prince... What was the prince's name? Prince Sima. Prince Sima, who is the king's son, he actually uh, brought me into this small room where the king was on a bed, and I sat in a chair next to the bed, and I got to have a conversation with him. I was filled with emotion. I couldn't tell you. It was it was a it was one of the weirdest feelings I've ever had because. I was full of joy. I was full of anxiety. I was full of sadness. I was full of all these emotions that were popping up. And I think he knew that. And he made me feel calm and at peace in his presence. He was very humble. Um, answered all my questions. Even corrected his son in front of me. And it was a, just a good man. Very good, honorable man. And I walked away from that meeting feeling a hundred times better because growing up as an African-American, you always hear, you know, that your descendants of kings and queens is that that's what we want to believe. But you don't know what that looks like. What is that? Or how is that? And you just don't know. This was the first opportunity that I got to actually see what it looked like. And it clicked with me, at least. So... I was very appreciative for that meeting. And afterwards, we went and ate me, Nana, Bright. We went to the beach and um, ate lobster. Or not lobster. We ate, I ate pan-fried chicken and fried rice on the beach. And just enjoyed and soaked in the moment. And, oh, by the way, Africans don't really go to the beach like that. They're not at the beach hanging out, sitting, you know, laying up in the beach. They've got things to do. They're busy. The people that were hanging out at the beach was a group of Germans. So 
there was this German connection to that specific area that we were in. The tourists were all Germans. Okay, so now I want to take a few minutes and I wanted to talk to Saul about uh, his experience in Ghana, um, what brought him here, and uh, how he has adjusted since he's been here, his opinion, and uh, how he feels about being here in Ghana. So, Saul, tell me, what brought you to Ghana? Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm grateful and thankful to be here. So, what brought me to Ghana was I wanted to experience ancient culture, our ancestry, and I wanted to reunite the diasporans with Africans because I feel like we're losing sight of that and it's a part of it's a part of the agenda. So I want to come to Africa and learn learn more skills and learn more about family and traditional medicinal medicine who did you come with so i came here with the universal family network a organization that is just now starting that has many programs in terms of buying land and distribution and renovations, uh, child, care, child care and child services, doula training, uh, educational tours on slave dungeons, and a really informational uh, old hub um, library called Black Hood. How old are you, Saul, by the way? I'm 30. And what's your education? What, what, where were you formally educated? I was um, homeschooled from first from the from preschool to uh, high school, and then I went to Hill College, and fast response for sterile processing. Okay, and you uh, you're a physical or you do massage therapy? Yes, I went to massage therapy school as well, and graduated as a neuromuscular sugar point therapist. Okay, that's very good. So, you get here. Well, how hard was it for you to get here? I paid the visa at like a year in advance. You did You did the, you took a full year? Yeah, I mailed it in. How long did it take for you to get yours? Oh, it took like maybe like four or six months. Okay, so it took a while. Yeah. To get it. Yeah, okay. I got to get the yellow fever it's, vaccine. Yep, yep. Okay, you had to get your yellow fever card. I forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so how did you fly? Where did you fly out of? Flew out what of. What route uh, did you take? I flew out of San Francisco Airport, and then I think we went to Puerto Rico. We went down to Puerto Rico and went, to, and then we just came straight to Ghana. From Puerto Rico straight to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was it like when you first got here? How'd you feel? I felt um, just a lot of pressure. There were so many people, there was so much energy, there was so much excitement, but 
uh, the taxi drivers, they all wanted me to come into their taxi and they were like trying to take my bags. And the taxi to... drivers are aggressive, aren't they? They're very aggressive, man. <laughs> it's their hustle. Yeah. yeah. You, but you see that with everything. Yeah, it's even yourself. <laughs> so even when you're in your, you're in the back of the taxi and you're at a red light, you'll have 10 people that'll come up to you uh, selling you different products or trying to sell you something. Right. I mean, from cell phone chargers to food. Yeah, you know, the toys, the fans. Bottle of water, everything. Everything. Yeah, so where do they get all that stuff from? Now, so they purchase it from local shops. From local shops, because a lot of yeah. stuff is imported from different countries and stuff. Yeah. And the stuff that... Oh, I thought that the, the, the bags and stuff that they buy are, are made here, that they're imported here. You talk about those black... Which bags? The... Anything you find in the ocean. Oh, Just like those all black these bags? Different stuff, all these different types of clothes. Bags. Yeah, and the clothes. Yeah, the black pastel bags, but also the clothes that are from here and just, like, all this stuff in the ocean. So the black plastic... I, I do notice that those are everywhere. And, 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 and what about, what about the foods? From? Are the foods made here? The, uh, the processed foods? I don't know, Bright. The processed foods, are they yeah, made the here? Yeah, pack, the packaging and stuff. Yep, 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 yep. Especially like the orange juices, mm -hmm. uh, that can coke and all those stuffs. Okay. Yeah. That's that's packaged locally. Yeah, and Voltic and all the water. Yeah, the Voltic water, which is like the main water they drink. The main, the brand is called Voltic, and it's pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's local. Yeah. Okay. And the pure water, the Sachi one. Okay. Okay, so where'd you stay when you first got here? So I stayed at the Universal Network Camp, the Universal Family Network Compound, where okay. I'm st uh, currently working at at the moment, and they have it's like a three-bedroom house, three three bathroom, five-bedroom house, living room, patio, a little library in the corner. Big house. Yeah. So it's a guest house that she's um, starting. And so you stay there. I stay there for like maybe two two weeks. Okay. Yeah, and then I moved to a smaller house, that maybe like a, a couple miles back towards Abu Kuma. Okay. So and that's the area that we're in right now. How long did it take you to adjust to the time change and the food and everything? Man, um, the time change was about three months. I would wake up or couldn't go to sleep or just take taking long naps during the day at first. But I'm acclimated after about three months. And the food, you have to be careful of the food. It's better if you cook it yourself. But sometimes I do go out to the vendors and yeah, then you have to have hot food. You have to have hot food. Yeah, you can't have nothing cold. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have to speak tree. Because if you start speaking uh, English, they'll charge you more. Yeah, tree is the local, it's, well, it is the main local language. Most people in Ghana speak tree, plus they speak at least one other dialect or one other tribal language. And usually it's their local, you know, where they're from. So uh, English is the official language in Ghana, but these other, you know, so, when you look at it, most people in Ghana speak at least three languages. At least. Right. So, you had to learn three. Right, they learn um, Ga, Tree, 
and anyway. Okay. Yeah, so I, in the business, we tour uh, other clients around. Like one of our first ones was uh, uh, Dwayne Wiggins from Tony, Tony, Tony. Okay. Yeah, so we took him to Aqua Safari, jet skis and outdoor bars and swimming pools. And it was a beautiful hotel. And we stayed at a, at a place called Packer Resort, which is like a more calmer river down the road. And he could like come take a jet ski to where we were camping out. We were staying in these circular huts. Yeah, it was in the Volta region. So you're north. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we have um, some projects going on uh, down in Abuzeme. Okay. So... How many expatriates, how many uh, Americans have you met over here? I've met at least a hundred. There's a couple of hubs that I go to, like Palace Africa, and it's a hostel that it's a hostel, like a you know, small uh, um, hotel where we have uh, events like family days and birthdays and meetings for um, the one, two, six African support group where we're like working together to to get the to get um, transition for citizenship and residencies. Oh, so you guys easy. help people okay, get their citizenship? Yeah. I see. I see. So if tell me about your business. About Soul Charge. Yeah, tell me about Soul Charge. Well, it has to do with chakras, it has to do with the right and left hemisphere of the brain. It has to do with living from your your heart because you have three minds, your stomach, your heart, and your, and your brain. It has to do with using your right and left hand and being more um, balanced in that way. Um, the study of light is what they use to manipulate us. Mm. And like when it comes to food and sex and entertainment and Gas prices, just everything material. So I started, I went to a Christian church wishing I had um, psychic abilities like my ancestors did because I, I love superheroes as a child. And as I got older and studying psychology, I learned that the minds, you know, you to, to learn these uh, psychic abilities, you have to understand your mind's relationship to matter. And I learned about magnetism and like in uh, quantum physics about atoms and protons and everything is just like a, repl a replication of itself and I heard that oh. so let me ask you this question if you could give someone let's just say someone visiting Ghana. Top three things they need to know. What would they be? Um, learn the language. Learn about your route and where you're going. Um, yeah, explore. Explore where the where the show shows and like have a guide so that you are um, protected at all times. Um, so, for people that don't know, a Trotro is like a minivan. 
And the guy that, there's two guys that work in the Trocho together. You have the driver, and then you have the guy that lets you on and off the Trocho. And you also pay that guy. And the Trocho will not move until it's full. So if you go to the area where they have the Trochos, and, you, you know, you get on one, and you sit there until it's full. Once the trocho is full, the driver will, you know, the, they'll close the doors and they'll take off. But they stop all the time. Because it's basically like a bus. Like how a city bus would work in the States. Where people are getting on, they're getting off, they're getting on, they're getting off. All the way until the end of the trocho. Which usually, they, uh, their ending mark, isn't it that uh, station? Yep, we took it from our winner to Takara. Yeah, yeah. So they'll they'll end up at a station where you can get off the trocho and get on a bus. Now the bus is not like a bus you would think in the U.S. either. It's basically a trocho that's in better condition. So it's like, and it doesn't stop. The bus goes straight through to your destination, and the bus will. Well, I think the bus did stop once because the lady needed to use the restroom. Yeah. So it, it, it stopped and everybody got off and used the restroom. Mm -hmm. But normally the bus will drive all the way to the destination. And they don't have no bathrooms on it or nothing. So I always recommend, let me put this out here. If you're traveling in Ghana, use the restroom when you can. Because when you get on the trochos and you get on the bus, it won't be easy to get to a bathroom. So if you've got to go to the bathroom, you better go before you get on the bus. And if you know that you're taking, say, the bus from uh, Takradi to Accra, then you better make sure you use the restroom before and then hopefully the driver may stop at some point on the way to Accra. But that's important for people to know. Um, also, the difference in technology and plumbing and electricity work here and stuff like that just learning to adapt to whatever is available, um, especially for like washing your clothes. A lot of, there's not a lot of laundry mats out here. There's, yeah, there's not a lot of ways to wash clothes out here, so you have to do it by hand. Um, yeah, I've been washing my clothes. Brian has been washing my clothes. I've been washing my underwear by hand, mm -hmm. just because there are not a, a ton of this. Now, if you are living here in Accra, you could purchase a washer, Okay, you can purchase these things, but the problem you're going to find is... Setting it up. Yeah, setting it up. And a lot of the water, you're waste, you will end up wasting water. See, Americans, we're very wasteful with our water. Here, I've been really conscious of the water because they have these big water tanks on all the buildings, and they collect rainwater... Mm -hmm. And they filter rainwater and all this stuff. So you have to be conscious of the water. As a matter of fact, when we were in Aguna at the Airbnb, I didn't even have hot water at that Airbnb. And we were there for, I believe, three days. And it was one of those deals where I had to make the adjustment to not having hot water. And that was an adventure in itself. I tell you what, it woke me up. But also it cooled me down because it was super hot outside. So I would go and get under this cold water, and I, but I would do it fast <laughs> because it was so cold. Yeah, I, I would also say to prepare yourself to change, and as you meet uh, people, to you know just 
just be prepared, for, be prepared for a beautiful change, like going to the slave dungeons and... Yeah, see, I didn't go to the slave dungeons. Bright wanted me to go, and I was having such a good time on a trip that I knew going to the slave dungeons was going to put me in a sad place. I knew it already. I can't even watch no movies like that. So I decided not to do it because I didn't want to, you know, spoil my mood of, of the trip and, you know, take focus off some of those other things. But I do recommend that you go to the Slave Dungeons. They do have what's called uh, a staircase of no return mm. where uh, people of African descent were taken or Africans were taken. And they once they went through those doors, that was it. They weren't, you know, never to see Africa again. So I was really thankful for the opportunity to come to Africa, and I still have another day, but it's going to be pretty much traveling from here on out. Tomorrow on out, it'll be pretty much traveling. Uh, the way back is a little different than the way I came because I'll be going from Accra to Washington, D.C., and then from D.C., I will go to Houston, and then from Houston, I'll go to Omaha. So I'm taking a little bit different way. And the the flight from Accra to D.C. is a 10-hour flight. So it will be the longest that I've ever been on an airplane. And um, it, it may be a difficult flight for me. But it was well worth the adventure. And I wouldn't change anything about it. The ups and downs, all of it is part of you learning about a new culture. You learning about your history. You... Uh, reevaluating your position in the world. And the last thing I'm going to end on is before you come to Africa, you need to ask yourself, you need to redefine what is beautiful, what you consider beautiful. Because what I considered beautiful before, I no longer look at it the same way after seeing what I've seen here. After appreciating people living wonderful lives and smiling with very little earthly possessions, very little material wealth, but finding themselves happier than most Americans who, you know, this whole adage, you have to chase the bag, rise and grind, you know, and don't get me wrong, they're doing all of that here. But at the end of the day, what's most important is family and community and your involvement in family and community. And that always will supersede your individual accolades or what you think you're doing for yourself. So, thank you again for listening to the African Studies Podcast. My name is Kwame Jiamfi, and I appreciate you joining me. Akwaba. <laughs>